Lit Service is brought to you by Writer's Clearinghouse. Writer's Clearinghouse empowers authors and agents by providing low-cost, professional evaluations of entire manuscripts that tell you exactly where your manuscript stands and what you can do to improve it. To learn more, visit www.writersch.com. Listeners of Lit Service will receive 20% off an evaluation by using the code LITSERVICE20 at purchase. Now here's the show. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Lit Service, where we are fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. I'm Cameron, and I don't really have an inciting incident to um, my whole writer thing. I was just kind of born awesome. My name is Kristen, and the first thing I remember writing was a screenplay in third grade with my friend about a girl who was born on the leap day and got a special wish and wished herself unborn. That sounds. Mm-hmm. Was it a short story where it ended very quickly and then she was No, it was a, it was a legit screenplay. She ended up. She wishes herself to an isle of like lost and impossible things, and cool. she had a talking backpack, which I'm sure we pulled from Dora the Explorer, and a map. Mm. But the map was kind of rude and sang songs that were not nice. Oh. And she had to find her way back to being alive. Kind of like it's a wonderful life meets Dora the Explorer. I read that. You should revisit that manuscript mm-hmm. or screenplay. <laughs> I'm Caitlin, and the way my the way I started writing, I guess the prompt itself is, what was our inciting incident that started us writing? There wasn't exactly an inciting incident. I started writing kind of like Kristen and Cameron, where when I was young, I like co-wrote stuff. I don't think Cameron co-wrote stuff. He just, you know, it came out of him as baby babble. <laughs> he was a child in diapers and couldn't speak. I mean, I do remember a very specific incident in, like, elementary school where I co-authored a book with my best friend about tigers with wings that were looking for buried treasure. See, also, so, okay, cool that's concept. pretty cool. We have to revisit yeah, all of these ideas. <laughs> so I, the first thing I remember writing was a, a rewrite of Tamara Pierce's Alana book. Of course. <laughs> yeah. And it had, like, all the same, except it might have been a mashup with, like, Lord of the Dance, you know, like, that Celtic dance thing. I was super obsessed with that when I was younger. Wait, how in the world did you mash those things together? I I probably put, like, Alana in, like, cool tights with Celtic things on the side. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So as far as cool ideas go, mine came later in life. But (laughs) anyway, that's the first thing I remember writing. Cool. Very nice. Well, if you haven't figured it out yet, this week we are talking about inciting incidents, which is a topic we've touched on before, but we're like way better at this now than we were then ostensibly. So we're going to do it again. (laughs) So starting with our opening question, what is an inciting incident? I just want to add really quick that even if we recover topics, there's usually something new or like something deeper to talk about. So I'm pretty sure the thing we're talking about this time is going to be different than our initial episode. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Inciting incidents. 100%. What are they? So, an inciting incident is the spark that sets off your story. It's the catalyst for everything else that's going to happen in your book. Again, but without the metaphor. And it's extremely... What? I said again, but without a metaphor. <laughs> no, I can't. I I was going to say it's the, the part in planet Earth where those iguanas are... They're hatched, and they have to go off on their journey to make it past all the snakes. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. It's... Mm-hmm. Yep. So more more metaphors for you. <laughs> and I already did it, get it. I did it without a metaphor. I said that it's the thing that makes your story begin. 
It's the day something changes. It's what makes your character believe that they have to do something different or change or become something or start on a quest or whatever your story is about. It's the day something changes. I'm going to be all contrary and look at it in a different direction just in case that's useful for somebody. A way I like thinking about it lately is that it's not... I mean, so it is, technically speaking, it's the, you know, it's the Big Bang that's the reason that's, you know, that starts off your story's plot. But another way you can look at it is it's the thing that determines why your book is starting where it's starting. I think a lot of times the advice for a book is you want to start as close to the action as possible. And usually for that action to be good, it has to have something that contextualizes the character and means something to them and will grip the reader. That almost always is the exact same thing as an inciting incident. Would y'all agree? Kind of. I think that we need context for a character before there's an inciting incident. Because I feel like inciting incidents fall into two categories. There's an inciting incident where the character suddenly has hope for their life or their problem or whatever to get fixed. Or something terrible happens and it breaks them and they have to figure their way out of the situation or whatever it is. So, like, those two things can be compelling and and make you attached to a character, but I feel like you need to be attached to a character before the inciting incident happens or we won't care about the inciting incident. Would you say either way you're starting as close as possible to that inciting incident having built up the care that you need for it to matter? Probably. I mean, it depends on the book, but yeah, you do want to start as close to the action as possible. But there are like fake out inciting incidents and there are inciting incidents that are like put in the wrong order where it's like a secret the whole time or like, I don't know. Yeah, stories that aren't told chronologically, Mm -hmm. but I think those are kind of the exceptions that prove the rule that usually your inciting incident is the thing that even in those cases where there is something going on with a fake out where you don't actually know where the story started, there is something still there narratively to hold that space so that the reader knows, okay, this is why we're starting the story here. This is why I should pay attention. Even if it turns out that those weren't actually the reasons later. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's where we get our stakes and our motivation for a character. It's where suddenly something is on the line for them. And so it makes us pay attention a whole lot more, which I think is what you're saying, right? I like that definition. You said that much more succinctly than I was. <laughs> <laughs> so now that we've determined an awesome, perfect, end-all, be-all definition for inciting incidents by committee, what do you do, what are the steps to making sure that your inciting incidents feel plausible and organic to the story you're telling? This is something we've already touched on because it's kind of inherent to inciting incidents. It has to be personal to your main character. I mean, if you think of books that you... that we all like, I mean, I'm talking about ones that I like, like in Illuminae, the opening scene is the planet being invaded, sending the two main characters to refugee ships that are fleeing the people invaded. Um, It's personal. I liked liked what you were going to say, which was refugee sheeps, and that's even better. I know, it adds a whole (laughs) new dimension to the story. But, I mean, it's personal to them because they just lost their home and they are being pursued by people who want to kill them. Or, like, for a totally different kind of story, I Capture the Castle by Dodie Smith is about a girl who is trying to figure out how to survive in this random castle her dad bought. He's a crazy writer guy. And he won't write books anymore, so they don't have any money. And she's really super lonely because the only people she ever gets to see are her sister and her dad's and, like, her stepmother, who is an artist and doesn't speak in complete sentences all the time. And then suddenly two boys move in next door. Or... Like in Where the Crawdads Sing, the main character's mother abandons her family to their abusive father, which means all of the other kids leave too, but she's not old enough, so she's the only one left at home with her dad. So these are things that completely break 
or change or like I mean and I capture the castle it's like a really hopeful like maybe my life will be okay sort of inciting incident and then in Illuminate and um, where the crowdads sing it's like my life has just been broken like my mother left and I'm here by myself and I'm five years old or like my home has been blown up, you know, like, so they're really big, they're really personal, and they're, they're shattering in either good or bad ways. Would, would you two agree that the best inciting incidents are unique to the character they're happening to? Or in other words, without majorly changing the details, you couldn't have a different character somewhere else go through the same inciting incident? I'm not totally sure I agree with that, but I will say that the fallout from the inciting incident has to tell you something unique about the character. So, like, I'm reading The Last Voyage of Poe Blythe right now. An inciting incident is in the first chapter. Her Their ship gets invaded by raiders, and her boyfriend, who she loves very deeply, is murdered. Um, and that's kind of a classic opener, having somebody you love get murdered. One might even argue bordering on cliché. However, because of the way that Poe reacts to this and the way that it affects her throughout the entire rest of the book, that it becomes something unique and it tells us about who she has as a character and where the book is going. I think that's true. I mean, that that almost is a cliche. I mean, isn't it like the fridge thing in comics? Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly. Except, I mean, boyfriends don't usually get fridged, but... Yeah, usually it's girlfriends and wives who get fridged. But, Uh I mean, the way that your character deals with it and then proceeds with their life is what makes it interesting. Okay, if you don't mind me jumping in, one of the things that just jumped to mind was actually Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Not the title. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh-huh. how, how they handled it, right? Because they have that cliche of the dying loved one. In this case, it's Uncle Ben. And what's really, I Wait, think, Wait, not in, about... into the Spider-Verse. You're talking Uncle Aaron. Well, for Vanilla Spider-Man, question mark? It's Ben, right? <laughs> it's <laughs> but point is, for, it's for always, there's, there's someone, right? There's some, the, the, the story of the film lampshades this, that all of them had someone close to them die. Oh, yeah. Very uh-huh. soon after they got their powers, right? And... What's cool about it, though, is that Miles' relationship with his uncle is unique to his story, and so it's uniquely impactful when his is offed. Yes. Rather than just generic family member that we generically care about who does generic things. I think that's true of just about any writing tool or anything that you do in your books, is you can't choose to do something because you've seen it done a lot of times. Or because it's like an easy win. I mean, everybody worries about losing family members. And everyone can identify on some level what it would feel like if their mom or their uncle or their husband or significant other or whatever died. However, adding unique things to it and making it matter is what makes books different. And so that is one of the things that makes Spider-Man and Spider-Verse super interesting. Because it's not... Uh-huh. exactly the same as all of the other Spider-Man stories or all of the other stories where people's <laughs> well because it has so many Spider-Man stories well, I mean, involved they're kind in of it. going they're kind of making fun of Spider-Man a little bit in that I think but also yeah. it's like an anthem to Spider-Man yeah. which is why I liked it so maybe a way of another way of looking at it is you don't want to rely on right. a cliche to do your work for you like yes. a cliche is frosting I don't know clichés by definition are effective because otherwise people would not use them so much. However, if the only thing you put in is the cliche with nothing else, then it will feel cliche. No, so frosting is <laughs> the inverse. Cliches are flour. But you don't it's have great, to use them. It goes them. in a lot of things. You but can if make all you have is flour, torts. no one's going to want to eat it. <laughs> so then it's almond flour. Well, you don't have to use flour. Either. I mean, gluten-free food is a thing. But that is neither here nor there. <laughs> I would say it's like apple pie versus making some other kind of dessert. How about that? 
Everybody likes apple pie, and somebody's <laughs> going to write to me and say that they don't like apple pie. Apple but... pie hater. Oh, that person lives a sad and lonely life. So we had a tie-in question, because we've, we, uh, we've, so far we've spent a lot of time talking about how the, ins- the like good inciting incidents tie into the character that they are inciting to incident. Whatever. That does kind of <laughs> beg the question, though. If you have a story that has multiple POV characters, multiple characters who need a kick out of the door onto adventure, how do you handle an inciting incident in that case? So the, the two books that came to mind were Six of Crows, as always, and um, Aurora Rising, I do like which Aurora I believe Rising. will be a new staple in my repertoire of books. They both are a series that have multiple point of view characters, and it's kind of about the inciting incident is the thing that makes the squad get together. So they do all kind of share one inciting incident, but at the same time, every point of view character is going to have their own inciting incident that got them to that point. But I think in general, people tend to focus on the big inciting incident rather than the mini little one. I think that if you can have an inciting incident that affects more than one person, then you end up with like a crew story where everybody's working towards the same goal. Or you can have inciting incidents that force people away from each other so they have to figure out how to overcome the wall that's between them. That's like a romance, right? Or, I mean, it could also be like a thriller, scary murder story. I don't know. You can do whatever you want. I think the important thing is to make sure everybody has motivation and stakes separate from one another. Even if it's the same motivation and stakes, people are going to react to them differently. Well, that's a really good point. That brings mm. up, like, I just finished listening to Sadie, which is absolutely incredible in audiobook form because it's about a po- Well, it's partially about a podcast, and so they set it up like a podcast. Because you've got two points of view. You've got Sadie, and then you have this transcript or an actual podcast episode, if you're listening to it, from Wes McRae, who's hunting down trying to figure out what happened to Sadie. And the inciting incident for both of them is the same. It's that a girl, Maddie, has died and that neither West nor Sadie want anything to do with any more dead girls. They want to stop dead girls. And so for West, that incites him to start podcasts and go on a little journey to figure out what happened. And for Sadie, it's pretty clear from the first page that she wants revenge. And same inciting incident, completely different motivations because of their characters. I think we've we've already touched on this a little bit, but how does an inciting incident impact the rest of the book? It like it's a roadmap. It makes promises. It is the rest of the book. It sets your character on whatever path they're going to be on for the rest of the book. I know one thing one thing that's occurred to me while I've just been, you know, listening to the ongoing discussion is I don't think I've taken enough advantage of when I'm looking at picking an inciting incident for what I'm writing of using it as an opportunity to show how this book is going to be different than in other stuff mm. that's come before. That's an important distinction to make. I mean, I remember once we did an episode with Trisha Levenseller, and she, during our actual critique, was like, here's my critique. How is this any different from anything else I've ever read? Mm, I remember that, actually. And unfortunately, though that sounds harsh, that's the truth. And especially when you are in query trench hell that's exactly the question (laughs) that agents and editors are going to be asking why is this any different than all of the 10 million other books that are out there a question has just occurred to me and it was regarding whether or not an inciting incident is a thing that happens to a person or if it's the choice that they make for instance in the hunger games is the inciting incident that prim's name is called or is it that katniss volunteers or is it something entirely different I'm tempted to say that the inciting incident is the space in the narrative that it occupies. So I wouldn't say it's Katniss getting drafted or Katniss saying yes. I'd say it's the scene in which she is drafted and she says yes. I think it can go both ways. I mean, because personally, I would say that it is Katniss deciding to 
to volunteer. But at the same time, you have like Illumine where nobody's made any decisions. Like mm-hmm. the, it was, the, there, yeah, them. it was thrust upon them. And so I just they think it just depends on your character and the story you're telling. And yeah, I don't think it has to be one or the other. Okay, so Katniss makes a choice in that book that then proceeds to take away her choices for the next three books. Whereas in Illuminate, they don't make a choice and it pushes both of the characters to be more active than they would have been otherwise. This is fascinating. That's interesting. I could write an essay. It probably says something about the characters too. I mean, because from what we gather of like Katie and Elijah, what's his name? Elijah? What is his name? Does it matter? It's the the boy. I don't know. His name starts with an E. Yeah, exactly. Through most of the book, he's identified by his initials, so I can't even remember. I feel like they were both, like, stupid students who were arguing about something, and the par- they weren't in the parking lot, but, you know, like, weren't I just... they breaking up? Yeah. They, well, no, they had already broken up, and then, like, she gives him a ride despite the fact that she's mad at him because there's stuff falling out of the sky, and she's like, let's not die, okay? But, like, the fact that they suddenly become much more proactive characters when they obviously were not very proactive before probably says something about their character growth and stuff. And Katniss being somebody who needs to be in control because of what happened with her mom. Mm-hmm. She's the person who feeds her family. She's yep. allowing the government to take away her freedom in order to protect her family, and it takes away all of the things that are important to her. So those are both, I mean, I don't, I like to think that authors don't do it on purpose because then it makes me feel better about myself. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, I mean, it says something about those characters, like what is the most horrible thing that could happen to either of them, and it is for both of those people. But then it also sets up their character arc. Interesting. What are the common pitfalls of inciting incidents and how do we avoid them? Okay, so I feel like I say this all the freaking time, but I have two main pitfalls that I see in first chapters. And one is starting at the wrong place, like way too long before the inciting incident where nothing is happening and it's really boring to read and I don't know what the hook is. Or giving us an inciting incident that could probably be a really good one, but not giving us enough information to care about it. So I guess just a note to keep in mind is we don't need a lot of exposition before an incident. We just need to see the incident and we can pick up context clues along the way as long as you're dropping hints. Like going back to Aurora Rising, there's a ton of stuff that we actually have to know to understand the story. Like, just so we're we clear, the beginning about... of Aurora Rising cheats. Well, it totally cheats, but it cheats it's really okay well. It's okay cheating though, yeah. It's yeah, not cheating because... if it works. Because... <laughs> we need to know a lot of stuff. We need to know about this huge war. We need to know what the Aurora Legion is. We need to know what fold gates are. We need to know why it's so freaky that Tyler finds the ship. But the authors are really good at just kind of dropping the only thing we actually need in the moment, which is that Tyler wants to get, he wants to get his squad together because of this draft and that he's rescued a girl. Everything else comes later. For those of you who haven't read Aurora Rising it literally says in narrative, hold on, you don't know enough to care about this excitement yet. Let me go back and give backstory. Mm-hmm. It also drops like documents in that are like, this is what you need to do about this right before you need to know about that thing. And like, they're always snarky. It's great. I like, them. <laughs> I like the way they do it and it totally works for them. But, you know, can't always do that. But in general, we want to know enough about a character and what they want and what's keeping them from what they want to care about whatever this inciting incident is. So I just think that um, as far as inciting incident goes, inciting incidents go, they need to be personal, like we mentioned before. Like an inciting incident could be that like a war starts, but that can't be the only thing. The war has to matter to the character. Or Mm -hmm. like 
you have to find a way to thread it back through. Like I was just thinking about The Cruel Prince, which has like a prologue inciting incident. I'm being a little spoilery here, spoilery here if you haven't read The Cruel Prince The third yet. book just came out. I know, it's but spoil I mean, whatever. whatever. In the very first <laughs> chapter, it might even be the prologue. The main character. It's a prologue. It's a prologue. Jude mm-hmm. is sitting at home and this fairy guy comes and kills both of her parents. And then whisks her and her sisters off to the land of fairy and is like, I'm going to raise you now. So she has a very complicated relationship with her dad, his, her fake dad, who is not her actual dad, but is actually the murderer of her parents. But that's the inciting incident. And it, it's obviously what pushes her through the rest of the books. It's a really personal thing. So that later when she's like, I want to be a knight and I want to have power because I live in this place where I don't have any magic. Everyone else knows I don't have magic and they take advantage of me and I'm in danger every moment. Every move that Jude makes is to give herself power when she has been completely powerless in her life. So even though that starts way back in a prologue and there's like a gap of like 10 years before we actually see her story, it's very closely related and personal. All right. Well, any uh, any closing thoughts on um, kicking hobbits out the door? All right. Cool. We are now going to move on to our critique portion of the podcast as a quick review. Um, we do try to be non-prescriptive. Um, if you'd like to check out the text of the submission and see all our notes, check out our website, which is litservicepodcast.wixsite.com slash litnation, or you could just Google litnation or Google litservice is much faster that way. If you would like a first chapter critique from us, you can find our submission guidelines there. So summary of this submission, a young woman finds out that she must follow in her mother's footsteps to become a butcher, but, you know, not an animal butcher, because that would be too happy. This is all about chopping people's limbs off. So, (laughs) things we like. The use of the word butcher and her patience Mm -hmm. is particularly exciting and makes a lot of cool promises about the book that we are already seeing pay off in chapter one. There's a good, subtle, early sense of dread. When, I wouldn't say it's when subtle, butcher honestly. Is just kind of dropped. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it very impending. it very swiftly becomes unsubtle, but I really liked the first time the word butcher was dropped. Um, I think there's some really lovely language here that pairs very nicely with the sense of impending doom and perhaps even creates it. I really particularly liked the phrase, as if two lovers had claimed, had laid claim to the shack when she's describing the initials being carved there. Aaliyah, who cannot be here for other reasons, mentioned that she really liked the details of cracked knuckles. I really liked that we get we get like the additional sense of not only is is this job of the butcher kind of, you know, distasteful for the obvious reasons, but also that like, you know, they're shunned by the community, <laughs> which is, I think, a detail that would have been easy to leave out. But the fact that like, you know, the, the people they live around don't really like that they're doing this particular aspect of Big Brother's job. I thought that was a good touch. I really liked the moment where she recounts her friend coming across her mother as she's cleaning off her knives, like, outside. And she just kind of casually waves at him with, like, blood dripping down her. It just seemed interesting that it's, like, a very commonplace and everybody knows about it thing in their community, but that everybody hates it. But also that the main character doesn't know what she's getting herself into and why she has to do it. Uh, One other line that I really liked was the discussion where it says, a knife blade of sun shining through the window, which was atmospheric and helped set the tone. Sharp, bloody implements everywhere. Okay. Any Anything else before we move on to... All right, cool. All right, things that need a second look or could use. So one of my big questions is near the end, Lady May is revealed to be almost 18, and that completely took me off guard because her voice makes her sound much younger. I had assumed she was at most 10, maybe 11 where I was thinking that this could possibly be junior fiction or this was like a 
prologue-y sort of thing set in the past and we would get a flash forward to the future if it was going to end up being an older book. So she did seem a lot younger than I think she's supposed to. Same. I was very, very surprised that she was supposed to be that old. The age thing? I actually kind of want to argue a little bit about that. Okay, you can argue. Okay. That's what we're here for. That's why there's a group. So I was confused about her age at the beginning, especially. There's a line about her watching other kids play outside and that she's ostracized from the community. And there I was like, geez, she must be really young. And she does seem really submissive and unsure for a 17-year-old. But the level of like introspection and thought that's going into it made me think of her as maybe a slightly older character. I guess for me, I read the extensive introspection as out of character. I, I guess my assumption was because just I, I mean I guess this is maybe maybe cynicism that comes from reading something I know is looking for feedback but I know that one of the, one of the common faults of beginnings of books is that they have too much info dump for the voice of the character so we have the spoken voice which is usually closer to what the author actually wants and her spoken voice and her physical actions feel very very young so when her introspection seemed older, I assumed that that was just out of voice. See, that's interesting. Usually we tell people to start with um, movement, with action. We start on the day things change. I actually was really intrigued by the idea here. And also we kind of have an inciting incident because at the end of the book, her mother gets a telegram saying that the training of your daughter is going to start now, essentially. So... We have this horrible life that the mother leads that we know she doesn't like. And the daughter, who's super scared and does not want to take part in, suddenly being like, you get to start now. Yay, let's cut people up. Here's your letter for Butcher Hogwarts. This is the well, dystopian I, version. <laughs> I guess I part of what made her feel so young is I don't understand how she could live to be 17 in this town and not know what her mom does or like not understanding yeah, if it has affected so many people in the that town. I, like it doesn't, it doesn't quite track loads because of people are missing there's there's no implications here. there's no implications that atonements are something secret in fact the implication is like like you know a lot of a lot They're of people public. go to have this be done it sounds like you know this is a i mean you get very dystopian vibes from the whole thing and i it, mm-hmm. i very much read it as you commit some minor legal infraction like jaywalking and they send you to have a bit of your finger chopped off as recompense or, or rather, you get you get a bit of your finger chopped off instead of paying a fine, something like that. Hey, Cameron, um, jaywalking is very serious crime. Don't jaywalk, guys. It's not okay. <laughs> don't all like gag either. But that's my point. Is it seems like this is it's it's well enough known that the people in town know that this is an option instead of whatever the normal punishment is. It doesn't track for someone who's seventeen to just not know unless she's been deliberately cloistered, which doesn't line up with the other facts. I agree. Um, There was also a strong amount of confusion from us on the character's name, which is Lady May. Initially, when we first meet her, I think I at least assumed that Lady was a title and that May was actually her name, especially because we talked about petticoats and corsets and other things that I would typically associate with nobility and historical novels. Later on, though, we it becomes pretty clear that Lady May is her name, which is totally fine. People have names like that where it's two names squished together, but because Lady is also a title, it set up some promises I don't think were intended to be made. Mm-hmm. Which if we want to be super prescriptive, you could either put a hyphen or smash them together so they are the same name. Like, you know, Mary Sue or if that's what it is. That also confused me because right at the very beginning, she finds carved initials in her house that are L yeah. plus M. 
and her name is an L and an M. And I was like, it could be either one. Like, she's a part of this thing that's been carved into her house, but that's not. Well, and I was really confused because it was carved there. I was like, why would she have carved her title? That's such a weird thing for a kid to do. <laughs> but in retrospect, now that I know that it's not a title, it makes a little bit more sense. But it it made me confused about it for a lot longer than I think you probably want a reader confused about it. Mm-hmm. Something else, I don't know if you guys already said this about point of view and head jumping. No, we haven't. So there are a couple of times in this book, it seems almost exclusively from Lady May's perspective, but there mm-hmm. are like two jumps into her mother's head, which you can have like a loose third or even a close third where you switch perspectives. However, the way that it is done is very head jumpy where it just goes for like two lines and it goes back to Lady May, which is very confusing for readers. So yeah, I had the same thought omniscient third is totally fine or like a close third is also fine but if you're going to head hop you need to blend it a little bit more as a general note Mm -hmm. I also had just a comment this is a really small one but just watch adverbs in that first those first two sentences there are a handful of them I think and if you use more powerful verbs instead of adverbs you cut down on your word count and also it just reads more smoothly also, I think it's an adverb there. <laughs> it, I also noticed some filter words where we have, I mean, this chapter is kind of an interesting one because I feel prof- propelled forward to read, but it is a very, very passive chapter. The entire okay. thing is pretty much her watching her mother get dressed and then kind of helping a little bit. So, and then there are two flashbacks. So flashbacks, well, not flashbacks, but like having a passive character kind of lends itself to like those filter words where we're like, she watched, she felt she saw things like that so we're not even like in the action even if it's small action with our character we're like outside of her and watching her watch the action so just watch for those all right anything else i think did we beat you to it did you want to talk about the genre anybody uh i I felt yeah i so i mentioned this i feel like part of my genre confusion came from lady maid's name but i i wasn't 100 percent sure what what sort of setting we're in because obviously the lady title and the petticoats and the corsets made me think like historical royalty novel but then the mom has a pretty strong it seems to me like a southern accent and then we've got some futury stuff blended in here so right now the general consensus I think we've reached is that it's probably pioneer dystopia which is super cool (laughs) but um I wouldn't have gotten there on my own so just watch for consistency and what sort of promises are being made and which promises are meant to be made all right speak now or forever hold your peace so our next guest will be becca j ross author of the queen's rising series if you'd like to receive a first chapter critique from becca and let's be real us be sure to check out our submission guidelines on our website and get your chapter to us by december 10th which is after this podcast is posted because we're sensical that way our guest announcements are on the website also if you want to look farther into the future and social media so if you want to submit a chapter make sure you check regularly we might even put a schedule up for next year who knows you know we're trying to get more organized uh thank you so much to our intern sarah doyle who gives us wings and keeps us flying um if you want to ask us questions tell us we're awesome or whine about your writing you can find us on Twitter at Atlet Service or on Facebook and Instagram as Atlet Service Podcast. We frequently do challenges here where you can win books or even extra free chapter critiques. If all of that isn't enough, you can also email us at litservicepodcast at gmail.com. 
Lit Service is brought to you by Writers Clearinghouse. Writers Clearinghouse empowers authors and agents by providing low-cost professional evaluations of entire manuscripts that tell you exactly where your manuscript stands and what you can do to improve it. To learn more, visit www.writersch.com. Listeners of Lit Service will receive 20% off an evaluation by using the code LITSERVICE20 at purchase. Wait, can I make a quick plug for Writers Clearinghouse just in case anyone doesn't know? Writers Clearinghouse, you don't have to submit a full manuscript. They also do first 10 critiques the critiques of the first 10 pages and of whatever query letter you are writing and they'll give you really great advice on how to improve so if you don't have the money for a full manuscript critique but you still want some feedback from professionals you can do it that way for lit service thanks for listening and we will see you in two weeks